0: Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years, you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald.
1: I think we should stick with encouragement for people to see the benefits. As soon as the state requires, then I think
2: we're in problems. None of this is straightforward, it's not been straightforward at any point during the, the last 18 months and, and this economic perspective is more straightforward now than, than it has been.
3: If you look and compare Scotland's drug problem to other parts of the UK that have exactly the same laws yeah. around safe consumption rooms, yeah. they don't have the issues we do.
4: This is fundamentally about saving and enhancing lives and that should be at the heart of whatever we do.
0: Well, there I'm, Brian Taylor. Very warm welcome to the latest edition of my Herald podcast. Now, quite a week, a week of contrasts, really. I mean, could we, dare we, begin to believe that the very worst of COVID may be behind us, or should we, must we, continue to be cautious? And from that novel, if now hideously familiar problem, to a crisis that has frankly been with us for decades, the appalling number of drugs-related deaths in Scotland, new figures due out tomorrow, but nobody feeling particularly optimistic, given the record of recent years so what can we all collectively do now discuss those topics and anything else that arises I'm delighted to welcome my panel from the from the Herald Alistair Grant from the the Liberal Democrats the D-Mob happy Willie Rennie about to stand down as the leader from the Conservatives MSP Mardo Fraser from the Greens Gillian Mackay Central Scotland MSP and from the SNP MP Kirsten Oswald a warm welcome to you all just before we start Willie what, what, what's happening I think uh, like Alex Cole-Hamilton is standing to replace you and you, you, are you are you looking forward to your different role?
1: Uh, yes, I am. What's happening just now is the gymnastics are on, on the ah. Olympics, so you're distracting me from my obsession uh, with, the, with the Olympics, but um, no, I think Alex has got off to a good start. Um uh, had a good, um, launch yesterday and it's a long nomination process, but... Um, by the time we come back in September, we but should possibly a our-
0: short election pro- process. We 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 shall see. Never mind. We'll we'll let you get back to the, the your, your your jumping box or rings or whatever it is you 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 were, you were you were exercising with in the previous moment. Let's talk about coronavirus. Nicola Sturgeon this week, First Minister, saying grounds for optimism because of the figures, but of course the caveat, the big caveat, the the need to be cautious. What do you, what do you make of that, Willie or Annie? Where, where are we? Do you think on on coronavirus? What, what's your take?
1: I think the numbers are looking uh, much better, and I think we will see a further easing of uh, restrictions next week. But the easing was always going to be much more difficult than the imposition. And getting things to to move in sync is going to be difficult. I mean, this morning I was speaking to businesses who um, were facing massive problems with recruitment and the cost of staff, which is going up. But secondly, accessing materials, construction, manufacturing and so on, mm-hmm. but also the cost of that going up. And that's going to be a problem. I think it's going to be here for the next two, three, four years. And it's not just a consequence of Brexit, but also the pandemic. But it's going to be quite difficult to deal with those issues alone, let alone other, all the other parts of the uh, I easing.
0: Alistair, the Grant, like, but bring us up to speed. Where, where, where are we next? I mean, Willie Rennie is mentioning there, there's a further stage. We're expecting some out. Take us through what, what's coming next in terms of announcements from the Scottish Government.
5: Yes, yeah, so also, I mean, you touched on it just there in terms of Nicola Sturgeon's announcement on Tuesday, or her, sorry, her briefing on Tuesday, where she was quite optimistic, I thought. there was quite a lot yeah. of optimism yeah. in terms of the figures. Um, I think just in terms of the promising statistics, there's case numbers more than halving in the last three weeks, hospital admissions falling. Um, so Nicole Sturgeon said that essentially next week, and I think an update to the Scottish Parliament, she'll set out, in her words, whether and to what extent that August 9th date for kind of removing yeah. most of the coronavirus restrictions can take place. Uh-huh. And I think that's interesting phrasing because it suggests that it's not a, not a binary decision okay. in the sense of, you know, removing all those coronavirus restrictions. There could be some that remain perhaps around wearing masks or maybe some restrictions yes. in, in indoor places, those kind of thorny issues that remain. And um, so that'll be the, the kind of next uh, major update on Tuesday next week.
0: Okay, let raised let, the let, let's go with the economy first and then come back to the you know the business of vaccination. But fraser what, what, you know, we, it's always been the case that coronavirus was a health challenge and an economic challenge. Is it now the case that it's always been a problem? But we're beginning to see the the extent of that economic challenge as well. What do you make? Yeah,
3: I mean it's a really mixed picture out there. And I was in, in meetings earlier this week with people from the financial services community, which has performed extremely well um, throughout COVID and, and really seen very little negative impact. Other parts of the economy, events and tourism, have been very majorly affected. And I mean, the point Willie made a, a moment ago, I thought was 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 a, a, a an important one. Actually, what we're seeing in sectors of the economy are substantial skill shortages now. And you can hardly walk down a um, high street now without seeing in shop windows signs saying "staff wanted." Staff wanted in in mm-hmm. retail, in um, home delivery. In uh, hospitality, that's not helped by people getting, you know, pinged as we know and having to stay at home. But but there's a broader issue, and I think I think there's a, there's a debate around the furlough scheme. There's still a lot of people on furlough. Um, yeah. Figures when-
0: figures figures today on that model from the Treasury. Still 135,000 have left the scheme in in Scotland, and they say that should be welcome news. But 141,500 still on it, and the scheme tightens from Sunday and is removed altogether from. September, your, your the critics of the Conservative approach would say that that's a cliff edge, it's going to damage a lot of people's prospects.
3: Well, the, the furlough scheme is winding down, although in the past, the, the Chancellor has been swift to move to, to extend it where that's required, and it may, need a, sector, may need, need a sectoral approach to it rather than a blanket approach. But, but there's clearly a mismatch going on in the economy uh-huh. if there are people still furloughed um, and, and effectively being paid by, by the taxpayer, and at the same time, there are lots of vacancies, because the the economy has shifted uh, over COVID. And a lot of new jobs have been created that didn't exist before. Are uh, you saying... of that is home, yeah, on, yeah. home delivery services have uh-huh. ex- expanded massively yeah. over the past um, 12 months. These jobs are probably going to stay, uh, whereas there are, there are jobs perhaps that existed in retail. Uh, you've seen a lot of big retailers disappear over the just, past few jobs. Just, are briefly long- before,
0: just Forgive me, briefly before I bring in Kirsten Oswald on this, are you saying to the Chancellor that he should consider perhaps... Extending the furlough for, say, the hospitality sector or, or, or other sectors that, that have been struggling.
3: Well, well, I certainly think that's something you'll look at. And, I, mean, I, I you know, one sector to look at, for example, has been events, which have been very mm. seriously curtailed uh, over the past year, and is it, slow to come back. And I think that's a sector where the chancellor could look at saying, is, is there a need for some um, longer term sectoral support for those working in that sector? But let's not forget, you know, a lot of new jobs have been created. We need to make sure people are filling these jobs.
0: Kirsten Oswald, what, what do you make of the economic situation? First of all, we'll come back to the health business in a minute. And I'll bring in Gillian in a second. What do you make, Kirsten?
2: I, I think it, it is really a, a a complex picture and I think that that um, really ties into what Alistair said about the, the nuance and what the, the first minister said in her briefing the other day, because none of this is straightforward. It's not been straightforward at any point during the, the last 18 months, and, and this economic um perspective is no more straightforward now than than it has been. I think for me, you know, I think there are particular concerns around the end of furlough. I think that that is a a big issue. I'm fascinated to hear what Murdo's saying because I think Mm. that that there is a need to look at sectoral uh, specific measures and and I I think that if the Chancellor is going to do that, he needs to get a bit of a wiggle on and and do it now because, you know, there are so many jobs that are dependent upon this and the, the situation for different sectors of the economy is so widely varied i think that the the other concern that i have in sort of economic terms is the the move um to to pull the universal credit uplift as well because in terms wow. of people's own personal economic situations which obviously feeds into the the wider economy too that happening at the same time as this furlough removal i think is going to cause a a real challenge um, for a, a number of households, and that is going to cause a, you know, a, a challenge for some of the, but, the, but the, do the...
0: Do you accept the argument the Chancellor would make that you cannot sustain furlough and, and enhanced benefits forever? At some point, you have to try and revert to something, dreadful word, but approaching normality in, in the economy.
2: And, and I think normality is going to be a—it's a, going to be a different normal. I know that's a, an overly used okay. phrase, but I think that's that's thats a reality. Nobody's asking him to extend furlough forever, of course. Okay. What we're asking him to do is to look at the need that's there and do what he said it, that he was going to do, which was to do what was needed. And, and there yeah. plainly is However still. Takes, yeah. But I think in terms of universal credit, that's a, a whole different story. It just doesn't make sense to say that that was needed. Which it was, but that's somehow not needed now. I don't think that's a reality that households across Scotland would recognise.
0: Julie Mackay, what's your take on the economy, first of all, on with regard to coronavirus?
4: I think the the easing of restrictions, whatever form they they take next week, are will be welcome in in many places. For for those who've been on furlough, particularly minimum wage jobs, 80% of a minimum wage job is not a lot of money. And even right. though we are seeing um, sectors of the economy reopen, and Murdo's saying he's seen job adverts, we need to make sure that these aren't exploitative, that people can live on these wages, that they have good terms and conditions and they have good hours. We have to make sure that we build a society post-pandemic that values work, values workers, and are in green and sustainable industries to make sure that we have these industries for many, for many years to come. Um, for for young people and people on insecure um, contracts and things, the what work looks like post pandemic is really important, especially as um, things like uh, eviction bans and stuff like that come come to an end. As people may find themselves in in debt and in in a situation that is is far from ideal, purely because of what they're what they're being paid. Thanks for
0: that, Willie Rani, You were keen to come in.
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think Jillian's right about making sure that the jobs that we're creating for the future are well paid, well-skilled jobs that are sustainable for the longer term and people can afford to live in them. The reality is now is that because of the shortage of workers, wages are going up. I mean, Amazon just recently put their, their wages up. Uh, the the real so issue fa-
0: is your favourite company, Willie, your favourite company. No, exactly. And
1: and that's not necessarily but it does show that the fact that employees are demanding more from their employers and their, their now I want government to make sure that that happens. but the, the real challenge we've got just now is getting enough skilled workers in the right places yeah. for the companies to grow and meet the new demands of the economy. That's the big challenge for government and that's why the training programs are incredibly important that we get them right. Because if we don't get them right, we're going to be missing out on big big opportunities. Okay. But also we're going to see many companies just not succeeding.
0: Kirsten, were you wanting to come in? Yeah, yeah. Very briefly you and I, I, I want, want to move on.
2: Yeah. yeah, just reflecting on what Willie said, I think that actually we we do need to think about this. You know, what is the future of work? going to look like and we shouldn't just let it happen to us it can't just happen by mistake okay. we can't just find ourselves in a situation where um, some kind of new normal has happened by osmosis so I think okay. that there really is a, a role for all of us there um, to, to use whatever influence we can to try and make sure that the future of work is one that is appropriate that does have all of the the structures and safeguards um, as well as you know obvious okay, things like let's, let's practical practice. pay.
0: Many thanks. Let's shift back to the health aspects of coronavirus. Alistair, we, we, we had contention this week about the business of targets. We had contention about pressure on A&E, We contention about, you know, who, who should be receiving the vaccine. Bring us up to speed with some of that, if you would. Yeah, so One of the major
5: rows at the start of the week that kind of went into the, the Tuesday briefing as well was this uh, kind of vaccine target that the Scottish government had to uh, vaccinate all people in the to 49 age group by Monday just past that Monday just there. Um, and essentially it, it turned into a bit of a political row to be honest but I think the figures were something like there's about 90% of people had their first dose and something like 75% of people had their second dose so there's that gap between first and second dose and I think Nicola Sturgeon when she kind of made this target in parliament had said that um, by that date everyone would have been given the vaccine but uh, when she was kind of challenged in this I think it was on Good Morning Scotland actually or yeah, yeah certainly the BBC and um, she essentially said that you can't, because the vaccine programme is voluntary, you can't force people to get it. So what that actually meant was that people would be offered the vaccine by this time. I think there was still a lot of question remaining about the that gap between the first and second doses, because yeah. obviously those people that had come forward for the first do- dose are not reluctant to get the vaccine. They're quite happy to get it. Um, but for whatever reason, they haven't turned up for that second appointment or they haven't gone into drop-in centres. Um, but Thank I think Jason Leach on Tuesday was saying he's not particularly worried about that gap and that it will soon kind of catch up in the coming days. Thanks for that. Um, Mother, Mother Fraser, Nicola Sturgeon said that she had assumed,
0: she was assuming a level of intelligence when she set out the figures, and, and she was assuming that, that people would understand that there was no way 100% would take the vaccine, and she was basically saying your, your, your party were at it.
3: Well, I think people looked at that, I thought it was a rather condescending and patronising view from the from the First Minister. She might now regret using the language she did uh, some, um, some weeks ago, but that doesn't uh, excuse her from um, the, the failings of the government to deliver on its promise that everybody in that age group, 40 to 49, would get the vaccine uh, by uh, the 26th of July. Um, and I mean, I also makes a very fair point. I mean, it's very curious why this has happened, because if, if the First Minister is right, and all these people have been offered their second dose, given they've had their first dose, these are not, you know, refusers, they're not anti-vaxxers, uh-huh. what's going wrong that this Big chunk of folk are not turning up for their second dose. And you've got to think there must be some failure in the system somewhere that is that not happening. And it matters because, you know, vaccination is really important here. You know, yeah. we know yeah. the vaccination programme is the route to relaxing restrictions, getting the economies going again, getting schools back, getting the NHS back, that, that operating with some degree of normality. That's so that, there of that needs to be a real power. push on vaccination.
0: Thanks for that. Kirsten,
2: enlighten us as, as to what's going on. I, I'm, I'm listening to Murdo with um, one of my eyebrows slightly raised, I think. I think he's been a wee bit disingenuous there. I think that what the FN said was perfectly clear. I think that what she said subsequently is perfectly clear, and that you know the the, um, the vaccination ex- program. Except was,
0: that they were different. She she said you'd get the vaccine, and then and then she said what she meant really was offered the vaccine. I understand these he, think things are difficult, knew, you know, but 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 she, she didn't. She did not say what she later said. She said,
2: "I, I think everybody knew exactly." Okay, she was talking right, about exactly. and I think that in terms of the vaccination program this does really matter yeah. because this is not really what the focus of our discussion should be the focus of our discussion should be on making sure that everybody gets the vaccinations that we all want well, them to where's,
0: have where's, where's the gap what, what about Margo Fraser's? What what Fraser's second point is is that the, the, this gap between you know 90, 90 odd percent getting the first and, and 75 the second is it just that the, the letters haven't gone out what, what's what's going on
2: I mean I would go back to what Jason Leach said he has said that you know this is not something that is causing him particular concern that there are measures in place to make sure that people do have the opportunity to take them up and of course we need to make sure that we keep encouraging people to do that but there can be any number of reasons why somebody might not have been able to attend a scheduled session what we need to do though and this I think is something that all of us do need to do and everybody I think is doing is to encourage people to make sure that they do come forward it's been yeah. made really easy there are so many different ways that you can make sure you access that second vaccination and we need to do that because that's what makes sure that people are as protected as possible but I think people do know that so I'm confident that they will continue to come forward um, and I'm confident that they know what messages the the first minister and the government that, that's,
0: but, yeah. that's the thing that matters Willie Ronnie you're really really. Well, Your your party also was reckoning the test and protect targets had been, well, massaged a bit.
1: Yes. I mean, I think that however there is a there is a wider issue here. I mean, um Nicola got herself in a bit of a tangle. In fact, by a standard that she created herself earlier on this year, you might recall when um the the UK government uh, were vaccinating and they were vaccinating at a faster great and they were claiming that everything had been done in a certain category and she just said at that point they'd just been offered rather than given. Mm. Now she's using the same standard but she's got tripped up on on that very issue. Yeah, but no, I think we're moving on to a much more significant issue here. We're moving from potentially the vaccine just being voluntary to elements of compulsion being used and that's where we've got very, we're very nervous about the increasing talk of the vaccine certificates or passports for international travel it's fine Um, but for increasing numbers of services here there is more talk about using it and the language has changed it's moved from encouragement to a requirement that's been developed now I don't think we're there yet but Mm -hmm. I don't like the way the rhetoric is going And I hope that both governments pull back from that because as soon as we get to the stage of people being required to have medical treatment, access daily services, which has not been talked about yet, but we're moving in that direction. I think we'll get to a stage where people will start re- resisting and rejecting uh-huh. that vaccine for that very reason. Thankfully, and, we're not there yet.
0: And to be fair, I've heard way, ministers say they're very skeptical about that, 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 that approach. Uh, 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 Julian, hold on a second. I'm going to bring in Kirsten, on, Kirsten Oswald on that, that very point. Is there any way in which you think the, the, the vaccines become quasi-compulsory with, with, a, with a passport or a, or a certificate system?
2: I think that it, it's really difficult to work your way through all of that in a a straightforward way you know that there's an awful lot there and I think Willie's right about you know the the need to give that very careful consideration because there may be people who are not able to take the vaccination for whatever perfectly valid reason um that are obviously challenges in terms of you know different people being able or not able as it may be to yeah. access different services and so on so I think that that would be something that would have to be talked through and thought through extremely carefully to make sure that it didn't uh, prohibit people or inhibit them from doing what they need to do and um, so yeah as,
4: as I said earlier
2: none of this is straightforward.
0: Gillian and then finally on this section model Gillian, Gillian Mackay
4: we we need to ensure that people are are turning up for their vaccines the 40 to 49 age group a lot of them could be parents were in the middle of the school holidays being able to get away somewhere with their children when they haven't been able to for 18 months could be quite a factor in this group for young people it's the it's the location of um of some of the vaccine centres and i appreciate some of the the buses and things that are being are being rolled out mm-hmm. but i'm slightly cautious about throwing all of the mitigations out the window next week when the young people that we asked to be sensible and protect the more vulnerable and the older people are still only partially vaccinated. And what essentially we we could be in danger of doing is putting them at risk by opening everything up because the majority of people have been vaccinated. I have a younger sister and a younger brother who are currently um, having to make decisions about where they're going and when, because they don't want to be put at risk by by other people who have had both doses but are still perfectly capable of passing yeah. the vaccine on. These young people are often working in retail and hospitality and all the areas that we are continuing to advocate opening up. Okay. I think we need to continue to encourage everybody to make sure that you're taking the mitigation measures that you can, that you're getting your vaccine to make sure that we don't That's end up masks with an
0: and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. to
4: make yeah. sure we yeah. don't end up with an accidental um, with an accidental mutation or end up in poor mutation that puts us back to square one.
3: Mard, Mar- Mar- you you keen to come in? Yeah, just to add a couple of words on, on, on the issue of vaccine passports that, yeah. that both Willie and Kirsten mentioned. I mean, I agree we need to be cautious here. Absolutely. I would not want to see them made, made uh, compulsory on a, on a broad basis. But I think, you know, if we're looking at, for example, opening up, and we're, already we're seeing um, companies taking decisions themselves, for example, in the travel industry, though they will require proof of vaccination. I think we're going to open up things like concerts and events and nightclubs. I think you know there is a, a role to say people have to prove vaccination or negative yeah. tests. And that that's, might that's, that's turning it
0: around. That's saying that these organizations require the reassurance of some form yes. of
3: certification. But that but that might help because we know there is a problem getting the younger age group to get vaccinated. Okay. And maybe that would be a push factor in encouraging younger people to get the vaccine if they know they have to get vaccinations in order to access the sort of services, like travel, like concert.
0: Very briefly, Willie Rennie, and
3: you're smiling, but
0: I don't think you're smiling (laughs) supportive.
1: See, when when Murdoch says push, I hear compulsion. And I think it just changes the nature of the debate. I think we should stick with encouragement for people to see the benefits. As soon as the state requires, then I think we're in problems.
0: Let's Let's th- thank you all for that. Uh, an, an excellent discussion. We managed to cover a good range of topics. Let's move to another one—a really grim, grim subject for Scotland. I'm going to ask Alistair to to bring us up to speed. We get the new, the latest figures on drugs deaths for the the, the year gone by, due to be published tomorrow. No, you know I I don't know the figures. So I'm not going to pretend I know the figure. But the figure uh, last year for 2019 was 1,200 people in Scotland dying of drugs misuse, um, a, a record total following on previous records. Uh, Alistair, it's, it's it hasn't looked great for a few years, has it? Bring us up to speed with that.
5: No, it hasn't, no. like you said, I think last year's total was 1,264 people who had died in Scotland to drug misuse. That was, sorry, that was the figures for 2019 yeah. uh, released last year. Um, so that's more than double the number of deaths in 2014, for example, oh it's goodness. the worst rate in Europe. It's more than three times the rate for England and Wales. Um, so tomorrow we're expecting the publication of the figures for 2020. Yeah. Uh, there, there have been reports that the figures could be, that we could see a rise in drug deaths, but those are just reports. We don't know what the figures are. And um, certainly, I think Hamza of just, just before we started this podcast, actually, was saying that he expects a, a challenging set of drug death figures. OK, um, and the so word what- challenging
0: in government terms is not
5: a good one. It's particular
0: um, uh, narcotics that, that, are, that are involved, isn't it?
5: It is yeah. I think just one important thing to note as well, actually, is that obviously the figures that were released last year were delayed until December. Yeah. Um, and following their release, there was kind of a lot of moves by the, the Scottish government to show that they were doing something about it. So um, Joe Fitzpatrick, the public health minister, lost his job. Uh, Nicholas Sturgeon appointed a, a kind of dedicated drugs minister, in Angela Constance. Mm-hmm. There was extra funding of £250 million over the next five years, announced in January. Uh, and because these this year's figures... Are for 2020, we don't quite know what the, whether any of that will have made an impact on the figures that will be released tomorrow, so it's worth kind of bearing that in mind yeah uh, I think yeah.
0: Alistair, hold, hold on to join us in a second. Julian. G- what I mean let, let's we could talk about numbers forever, but let's t- try and talk about solutions what, what could what can possibly be done to get down you know, the worst rates in, in Europe, the worst in the UK?
4: So I was really pleased just before summer recess that I got a, an amendment through on um, safe consumption rooms. These would, these would help to ensure that people, um, people who are using drugs have support there should they take an overdose. There are people there that can help. We also need to look at how we, how we deal with drugs in general. Uh, we forgive, need me,
0: to, uh, forgive me, are safe consumption rooms feasible in Scotland? Are they not barred by UK law?
4: We can we can see what we we manage to get to bring forward with, with the Scottish um, Government. I hope I'm looking forward to very much working with Angela Constance and, and others on seeing how we can how we can bring these these forward within the laws we have to operate within. Stopping it being a criminal criminal justice issue is really okay. important. This is so a health,
0: basically, yeah.
4: It's a public health issue. Okay. Um so, so de- so taking that out of the crim- criminal sphere, I absolutely recognise that the, the Conservatives want that right to rehab, but rehab isn't right for, ev- residential rehab isn't right for everybody. There has to be that mix there. We need to tackle um, unplanned discharges from, from uh, drug interventions, because those are, those Uh, Periods are when people are at particularly high risk of overdose. We need to make sure that there's wraparound support with mental health support, with housing support, with all those other things that ensure that people, that we treat the person as a whole and we don't ask for abstinence in, in response, always in response to to the sort of care and support they need to make sure that we get the best
0: outcomes. Fans, hold, hold, hold those thoughts. Mother Fraser, got a name check there. What, what, what's your, your take on this? You've got a particular proposal, don't you?
3: Sure. So so we're proposing a, a right to recovery bill and this is something that's backed by a wide range of experts in the field. And essentially what that would do is is, is give everyone uh, who is a drug user the, the, the right to access rehabilitation treatment. It wouldn't necessarily be residential rehab, as Gillian as mentioned. It might be facilities um, in the community, and the reason this is important is we have seen a dramatic reduction in the number of rehabilitation places made available over the last decade. And we know, and our experts confirm this, that um, intensive rehabilitation uh, is the way for people to, to break the drugs habit. Now, the irony here is we have some excellent facilities in Scotland, world-leading facilities in Scotland, like Castle Craig in the Borders where if you go and visit them, nearly all their clients are either from other parts of the UK or even from other parts of Europe. And yet they have very few from within Scotland because funding has been cut. What about,
0: what, 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 about, what about safe consumption rooms? Would you be, would you accept that? Would you be in favour of that? It seems they're on counter to, to UK law on, on the, the availability
3: of drugs, which remains reserved to Westminster. Well, well, with respect, I think that's a bit of a side issue, if I'm honest, because if you look and compare Scotland's drugs problem to other parts of the UK that have exactly the same laws around safe consumption rooms, they don't have the issues we do. So so I think that's a very small part of a much broader, much more complex picture. And where the focus needs to be is getting funding and support in the drugs we have. Willie, René, and then Kirsten. Willie, please.
0: Um,
1: I I want to see the elements of what Murdo and Julian have said are, are right. I think... The overall approach from Gillian is the right one. The right to rehabilitation is also should be enshrined as well. And the problem is we just don't have sufficient capacity in the system for everybody able to exercise that power. And if if that law was to be able to force a change in the system, that might help. We certainly haven't got sufficient support for everyone that needs it. But we also need the Portuguese system of commissions. We call it family and drunk commissions. Which would, rather than sending people to jail, you would actually have effectively compulsory treatment and support. But again, you're going back to the same problem that we don't have sufficient support within the community, whether it's residential or otherwise, for people to be able to be treated. We also do think. You, you do, really even, do you do that, really Even
0: do you do that, Willie? Even if individuals have committed crimes to, to feed their habit?
1: If well, it compl- depends. you've crime. got to sep- you you all have to separate off if okay. they've committed other crimes. Um, but of course, what we don't want people as a result um, of their drug use to be ending up in prison when actually solving the root problem is yes. actually stop um, the crime in itself. Um, but the final thing, we do, we do need safe consumption rooms. It isn't the whole answer. The whole debate shouldn't be focused around just okay. that. But I hope that because Scotland has a uniquely difficult problem here, that the UK government would listen to even actually just having some kind of pilot operation in Scotland okay. to be able to test this out. It would be the sensible way to proceed. If it doesn't work, then of course we can go back, but I suspect it may help us deal with some of the problems that we've got here, because these problems have been embedded for years now, yes,
0: they have,
1: years right? and years and years, and the government really needs to catch up um, on this. Um, Which, would would, would your you, yeah.
0: would, would you party decriminalise drug use yeah, altogether
1: effectively. Well. Yeah, yeah. Eff-
2: effectively that's what the Portuguese system is, it, okay. is a decriminalisation.
0: Kirsten, Kirsten, what do you make of the ideas you've heard so far?
2: I think it's really interesting, actually, that if we listen to what has been said by all of the contributors, there is actually quite a lot of common ground there, and I think that yeah. that because everybody recognises the, the gravity of this situation and, and what a, um, a long-standing and complex... Um, issue it is yeah. but it's one that needs to be dealt with so you know it, it won't be a straightforward fix if it was a straightforward fix we wouldn't be having this conversation um it needs to take in a lot of the elements that people have already highlighted and to be fair these are the things which nicholas sturgeon and angela constance are talking about in terms of how we do move forward so oh, why, why is it why approach. is it so
0: anybody got an idea question first why is it so bad in scotland what Why are we? you know, the, the the worst in Europe. Kirsten first and anybody else
2: that wants to pile in. I, I suspect it's a, a, a long historic issue that has um, tendrils that weave their way into all different elements of society and I think that anybody who suggests that there is one simple reason for this or mm-hmm. you know that it's something that has just happened it is simply wrong and I think that that would be um, important to recognise the complexity and the very long-standing nature of this if we're going to try and make a difference because if we don't get that yeah. then it's going to be much more challenging to try and improve the situation and we really need to improve the situation.
0: That's another some extent in the, in, in the older age groups which could indicate the very point you're making there that it is, it is a problem that's entrenched back decades and you're this seeing consequences. Right. Gillian you've got, you got a hand raised yeah?
4: I think some of this is grounded in the sort of nation's mental health as well. If you look at the root causes of a lot of problem drug use, there's a lot of complex trauma at the heart of it. And actually investing in mental health services is something that we really need to do to address the the, the root cause of, of problem drug and alcohol use. Um, before, as well as dealing with the actual the actual substance abuse in itself and some of it does have have roots in sort of some of the deindustrialization of some of our communities and and things like and things like that but i do agree with kirsten there's probably you no have, you have deindustrialization no
0: parts idea. of england and elsewhere and it's not as bad as it is in scotland Willie, Willie, will, you were trying to come in and then and then uh,
1: yeah I, I mean i was slightly disappointed that kirsten says it is a, it is a complex problem but i would have expected some kind of decent analysis by now as to why this has happened um, especially if the government's going to get on, on top of this. Um, I do welcome the fact that Angela Constance is in place, but this should have been recognized some years ago. I think there was a a queasiness by Nicola Sturgeon, if I can put it that way, back in about 2014-15. I remember debating with her at that point the oh, whole okay. drugs issue. And to be frank, she was reluctant to do any kind of radical reform in this area Why? Why lines we were talking about. And I why don't quite that? know why that was, whether it was public opinion that wasn't in a right position at that stage. But Gillian's right, there are deep-rooted social and mental health problems in their communities that's compounded this, there is a lack of self-worth, there is a combination of older, longer-term drug users, who is now basically catching up with them, but also younger people who don't feel part of society and don't feel as if they're contributing and are trying new and experimental drugs. So there's a cultural thing as well with certain communities engaging this more than others. But at the heart of it, in terms of the from government, the government cut the funds at the time the drug deaths were going up. And that was a fundamental mistake a few years ago, and that should never have happened. It took a long time for the government to catch up. And I think at the root of that was queasiness from the leadership within the government. And that really should have been acknowledged a few years ago. And perhaps we might not be in as bad a position as we are now if Bring that had been recognised.
0: Bring in Murdo in a moment, if you can be patient. Kirsten, on that point, I mean, Nicholas Sturgeon did say during, I think it was in an, an election debate, what was it that took our eye off the ball with regard to, to this question?
2: I, do you know I think that all of the people who have been directly affected by this probably deserve politicians to be, Thoughtful and a bit frank about these things, and I, I do think that that's how Nicola Sturgeon has spoken about these issues. These are really, yeah. um, you know, individual tragedies. There's no other way of looking at this. So when we're talking about it, then we, we need to do that in a responsible way. I think that's, I think that's what she, she did. And when we're thinking about how we try and improve the situation, which is obviously really important, I think that you know that the, the steps that are being taken are important, and they are the right ones, you know, the the, the funding that's in place, the the minister that's been put in place specifically to look at this, because it warrants that, doesn't it, you know, a situation of of this. Willie Rennie is suggesting
0: you're coming rather late to the game in in, in terms of action, in terms of funding, in terms of endeavour and effort.
2: I mean, I hear hear what Willie Rennie's saying, and, you know, I I heard what the first minister said as well, like, you know, I I think that, you know, we we do acknowledge that this is a a challenge, and it's been a challenge, so, you know, I'm not sure that anybody is doing anything really other than trying to work at how we now try and make sure that we do tackle this and i think that 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 public health approach where you're you're looking at the the round the the big picture is the right one if you you know think about how knife crime in glasgow was tackled with that kind of approach and the way that that made a, a sustainable difference I think that that's what we need to see in terms of drugs and it will take all of the funding all of the resources and all of the thinking but these are now there and um, um, you know we, we need to make sure to do everything we can to try and make that difference going forward
3: I, mean, I think Willie's analysis is largely correct on all this um I mean it's absolutely right some of the people sadly dying now are in their you know 50s a, a, a long-term users but by no means all, all the younger people um, who uh, have come into being drug users more recently uh, are part of the mix too. Um, I mean I'll go back to, to the recovery point. Um rehabilitation works. Rehabilitation is expensive, residential rehabilitation is very expensive. And you know, you can look back at the cuts that were made in the funding for uh, rehabilitation projects and particularly residential rehabilitation projects, and you can see why in you know, money's tight and there's demand. Money's spent in other areas. That's an area that gets cut back. But we are living now with the consequences of the choices that were made uh, in the past 10 years. And that's why putting more money into the system and providing a right to recover, I think, is so important because that's the only way we're going to reduce this dreadful uh, death toll that we're currently seeing.
0: Thanks for that. I've got hands raised. I'm going to take Willie first and then Kirsten.
1: Uh, Murdo, do, you, do you think the Home Office would be open to doing some kind of pilot arrangement on the on the safe consumption rooms? Because, I mean, even on a limited basis, perhaps just in Glasgow to try it out, do you think there's any appetite in the UK government for doing... I, I accept what you say. It's not the whole point. But do you think, actually, to move the debate on, to talk about the other issues, do you think the Home Office might be agreeable to do something?
3: What, mother, what's your take? Yeah. I, I I can't speak... For the Home Office on that. Of course, the prosecution of crimes in Scotland is a matter for the Lord Advocate and the Crown Office. So, you know, it would be up to the the Lord Advocate and the Crown Office to decide whether or not, to what extent, they were to prosecute individuals who were going down the route of safe consumption. So maybe that's a matter that could be looked at within Scotland.
0: Right,
2: thanks for that, Kirsten. You, you had a hand raised as well, please. I did, and uh, Willie kind of stole my thunder there, but I, I'm grateful for that in a way because maybe I can um, go back to Mardo and and just in a you know ask in a straightforward way, do you, do you support the principle of safe consumption rooms as part of that suite of things that need to happen to to help people and to save their lives? Is that to something?
0: explain, to explain, explain before? Before, to explain, Kirsten, before I pull that to, to Mardo. Safe consumption rooms, it wouldn't just be a place to you know, take drugs. It would be accompanied by efforts to, to yeah. uh, rehabilitate and encourage and, and uh, 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 perhaps prompt, prompt a, a recovery in abstinence. To right? answer that directly, Kirsten, yes, please I please think to we
3: to see the evidence that says this would work and why it's required in Scotland when we see a much higher rate of death in Scotland compared to other parts of the UK where exactly the same like, so the framework applies is,
2: the is that role. not an argument to try this approach? If we all acknowledge, as we do, that this is a particular problem, surely we should be open to trying this as a solution. I think there's quite a lot of evidence out there.
0: If you if you Go, I'm going to bring in Gillian, but Kirsten, if you're going to pilot something, you have to judge by which, find a way to judge by, by whether it's been a success or a failure. What would be your parameters for judging success or failure on a pilot of this sort? Right.
2: Well, I think that, we, you know, we have the unfortunate situation of people losing their lives. You know, that's, so, I think, the, that's the fundamental yeah. in all this.
4: Okay.
0: Gillian J- Mackay, you were keen to come in.
4: That was the point I was about to make. This is fundamentally about saving and enhancing lives, and that should be at the heart of whatever we do In arguments about the where the, where the initi- initiative should come from, whether we ask the Home Office or whether we... Inst- we ask the Lord Advocate not to not to prosecute under this. I think what we have to do and what we have a responsibility as a parliament. Is to ensure that we we protect lives as a public health issue, yeah. and I really hope that that's something that that everybody will get on board with with the safe consumption rooms. And I absolutely agree that it's not the sole it's not the sole part of it. It is part of ensuring that we save lives.
0: I'm going to bring in Kirsten in a second, but Alistair Alistair Grant, the, the we've talked to, to, to now about consumption. It's also about supply and and distribution. You know, presumably there are efforts being being made by police authorities and others to to, to try and Clamped down on the on the distribution and the availability
5: of yeah. I think one of the problems uh, certainly last year and, and probably we should expect this year as well was benzodiazepines, kind of yeah. known as benzos and uh, street Valium and the supply of that in the streets. And I think what happens uh, in quite a lot of the deaths, you have this kind of poly drug use where people are using kind of multiple substances and that contributes to the problem in a way. So I think stuff like that, cutting down the supply and a lot of these medications will be available online for people if you, if you know where to go and you know where to look. Um, and and relatively know. inexpensive, I would, I would imagine
0: as well. Yeah,
5: yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure about the prices, but it's certainly available, yeah. easily available in cities. And I think Dundee is a particular problem with drug use, um, yeah. as we have seen in the figures in the past. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these kind of supply issues. I, I certainly think it's also a controversial point, but I, I certainly think de- decriminalisation and looking at what other countries have done, countries like Portugal, is certainly something that should be should be looked at seriously. so if we're talking about a public health approach, then that is kind of the definition of that: to stop kind of criminalising people for for personal possession of drugs and to kind of point them to uh, to kind of health measures instead and i think it's it's worth noting as well that i can't remember the name of the guy but there's a senior police Scotland figure i think um last year was basically suggesting that cr- criminalizing people in this way just pushes them into areas where they're they're coming across kind of more harm essentially it's doing them more harm than good kirsten oswald you had a hand raised
2: yeah and actually what alistair said i think fits in really well to where I was going to go with that just in terms of making sure that we don't make matters worse for people rather than better. So it is about making sure that from all the different angles that we're taking the right action whether that is by looking at things in terms of the criminal justice system or looking at the public health element.
3: I just think we have to be a little careful about decriminalising. I think, I think that there's a danger the message that sends out to people about taking drugs, if you, if you move from a criminalised substance to one that is decriminalised, people take that as a nod from the state that somehow this is something that is safe to take. And, you know, I, I, I meet, it worries me when I meet young people, particularly school-aged young people, who, who take cannabis, who think it's a harmless drug, and it's not. And, and you see the impact of long-term cannabis use on older people and the mental health issues that causes. I think we need be tread very carefully on this on this route.
0: Will will there any tread carefully on decriminalisation?
1: Yes, absolutely, we should tread carefully. But we should look for responsible change that's been delivered in other countries like Portugal, where it's had an effect. And the effect is that more people have come forward for treatment and more families have recovered and more families are in a much better position than they were before. That's the sensible way to proceed. I think the more that we move it from the emotion and into the practice, I think we've got a better chance of dealing with it.
0: But you take Murdo's point that you, 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 the, point. You, the word decriminalisation could easily become legalisation. These, these, these are legal. These are almost endorsed by by the yeah. state if, if it's not presented properly.
1: Yes, yeah, which is why I never used the word.
0: No, indeed. No, indeed. No, indeed. I'm going to. We're coming. Oh gosh, we're almost entirely out of time. I'm going to ask for a final word from each of our political panel on on this. What, what would you like to see done? What could Scotland collectively do Kirsten Oswald
2: first, please. I think that making sure that that public health focus is at the centre of everything that we do um, in terms of policy, in terms of narrative, and to bring as many agencies and um, and people on the ground, organisations on the ground, on board, is the best thing we can do to try and make that change that we really need
3: to see. Thank you for that. Margo Fraser, please. Very simply, a, a right to recovery and a, a right of access for rehabilitation services
0: the bill your, your, your party is, is, is promoting. Julian Mackay, please, from the Greens.
4: I think ensuring that there is wrap around person-centred care in this sense, to ensure that people have the ability to recover when they want to and to thrive in the life after problem drug use.
0: Thanks very much. Willie Ronnie.
1: Im- implement international best practice and increase capacity of rehabilitation. Make things happen rather than just endless debate.
0: Well, there's been a, an excellent debate today on, on uh, this, this podcast. May I thank the political participants. May I thank Alistair Grant, my uh, uh, colleague from, from from The Herald. Thanks very much to all of you for, for listening in whatever format you, you you did. Many, many thanks indeed from me, Brian Taylor. The new.
4: This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add HeraldPod2021 to your basket and get instant unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene.